evening and welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler and this is the program where we talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives and where we provide you with a three-hour oasis of rationality in the desert of insanity, which is the American media, cultural and political landscape. My co-host Leah Brandon is not with us this evening. It's not because of our epic fight over Donald Trump, which you can hear for yourself, and I urge you to do so at our podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com. She is on vacation this week. We look forward to her being back next week. By the way, if you go to the podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com and check out last week's show, you'll hear, uh, I think, all in the first hour that I correctly told you that Debbie Wasserman Schultz would be totally eliminated from the Democratic Convention, that there would, in fact, be real evidence that Russia was behind the hacking of the DNC. And I predicted, I believe, within about a half a percentage point, the size of Donald Trump's bounce in the polls. I'm kind of a big deal. So check that out for yourself. Uh, Later on this program, I'll be telling you, about Hillary's bounce after the Democratic convention, but partially because uh, Leah is not here and partially because I want to get an expert's view on what happened at the Democratic convention this week. We're going to have a very special guest during our first hour of the program. He is a very good friend of mine and of the show. He's a Democratic congressman from Louisville, Kentucky, where he and I used to host a television show on the NBC affiliate way, way, way back in the dark ages. And he was a super delegate at the Democratic Convention for Hillary Clinton. He is Congressman John Yarmuth. John, welcome back to the John and Leah show. John, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, you're a pro at this. Generally, when someone welcomes you to the program, you say, happy to be here. No, I just just caught caught in I didn't get the whole message. Something. Oh well, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I'm a to be with you. That's a rousing start. And it, <laughs> but maybe maybe having you on for the full hour was a mistake past your bedtime. Uh, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for staying up with us, and I look forward sure. to the, I look forward to this hour because um, John and I will never agree on almost uh, any policy, but we often do agree on the politics and the media aspect of all this, and also John's about the most honest. A Democrat, you're likely, or Republican, frankly, you're like you're likely to find. So we might get some interesting answers uh, from from John here. John, I want to start off with my very short analysis of the Democratic convention in Philadelphia, where you were for the entire week, and now back in Louisville, Kentucky, and have you give your response to it, where I'm right, where I'm wrong. Uh, my very short analysis is that for the first three days, from a political standpoint. You guys pretty much did as well as you could under some difficult circumstances with the, the hacking and the leaks and the Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, controversy and obviously the Bernie Sanders people going a, a little bit crazy. Uh, the speakers were all well chosen. They all did a good job. There was lots of good humor at Donald Trump's expense. Shockingly, there were lots of American flags and pro-military uh, rhetoric. I thought Bar- uh, Barack Obama, President Obama's speech was the best speech I've ever heard by a Democrat anywhere uh, from, a, from a political standpoint. I, I mean, I almost got emotional uh, listening to it, uh, which really says something considering my feelings about uh, President Obama. But on the fourth day, I, I thought that you guys missed an opportunity. Uh, I thought that Hillary's speech was politically far too much to the left 
uh, for uh, for the purposes of trying to win a general election and was clearly designed to try to placate the Bernie Sanders supporters. And I also thought that the pictures, which you may not even be privy to since you were in the arena, but the, the video of Bill Clinton looking completely out of it uh, through almost about, about half of the speech they were showing him on a split screen. And then the Bernie Sanders, when they showed him, he seemed like he was angry to be there. Uh, I, I thought that uh, her speech was rather lackluster, too far left, and that some of the images weren't necessarily politically the best for you guys. W- where am I right and where am I wrong in that analysis of your convention? Well, I don't know. I, I, John, I think you're you're right on on a lot of it. I think uh, Barack was incredible in his speech. Um, obviously, Michelle Obama was um, just knocked it out of the park, to use a, a very tired cliche. Um and and most of the speakers there did a phenomenal job. You know, Hillary is challenged in that kind of setting, and you know, I thought she did about as well as she could do. I, I just don't think she's all that talented in that 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 format. Uh, but in terms of Bill, you know, every night there, when you're trying to, you know, you're out in the West Coast, when you're trying to 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 uh, uh, reach people. In, in the western time zone, and so you're going at 11 o'clock at night with baby boomers, you know, it's tough. <laughs> and, and I think it's, you know, most everybody was falling asleep uh, at, at 10, 11 o'clock at night at, in, in Philadelphia. So, so wait a minute, you're telling me that Bill Clinton can't stay up past 11 o'clock anymore? No, by, by the way, by the way, that might, right. that might be politically really good news, because, you know, that might put away some of the fears that people have about Bill Clinton being back in the White House if, he, <laughs> if he's falling asleep at 11 p.m. But it looked to me worse than falling asleep, John, and I know this. You're a Hillary supporter, a Clinton supporter from from way back, actually. Bill Clinton helped your, your first election campaign in, in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, uh, about 10 years ago now. and um, But I have to say, he, he doesn't seem all that well. Uh, I mean, I know you've had some interaction with him. Is it just normal old age? I mean, what, what's going on with him? No, I, I, I think he's, a, he's 70 years old. He's uh, obviously led a very full and active life. And, and I, think, uh, you know, I, I think he's behaving like um, a 70-year-old man would behave. And, and you know, but I... What the thing that that I was one of the lasting memories of me was watching the video when when uh, when uh, Chelsea was introducing uh, Hillary and how hard he, it was obviously for him to hold it together. I thought that was a very very touching scene. He was, I think, he was clearly uh, a, a very very proud proud father. Well, it's but, possible. It's possible, John, that that what. What was happening here is a combination of factors with regard to Bill Clinton's uh, demeanor, whatever you want to call it. You know, somebody put a monitor in front of him and below him, which meant he was looking down. And I think that that may have exaggerated this perception that he was either falling asleep or or not co- totally with it. Uh, and had he been looking up at the stage, I don't think it would have been quite as dramatic. But I, anyway, to me, it took it took away from what I thought at times was a decently delivered uh, speech from Hillary Clinton. But I, I, when we come back, I want to talk about the politics of it and whether or not it really was too far left to take advantage of some openings that she has, considering that her opponent is Donald Trump. We're speaking with Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth. This is the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 
This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. She'll be back next. We're visiting with Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth from Louisville, Kentucky, where we're on WHAS in Louisville. And we're talking about the Democratic Convention where he was a superdelegate for Hillary Clinton. And I'm getting a lot of really bad feedback on the phone line. It's amazing how difficult a phone connection can be in 2016. So why don't we... John, are you able to hear me okay? I hear you fine, yes. But for some reason, your sound, your your line sounds terrible. So why don't we why don't we why don't we hang up and try this one more time? Wow. Well, <laughs> you can't say it because we just cut you off. All right, so here's the deal. Um, our, our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's where you can check out each and every one of the 23 different radio stations that carry the John and Leah show on a weekly basis. You can check out our podcasts via iTunes and SoundCloud. I urge you to do so because, especially last week, there was a heck of a uh, interchange between Leah Brandon and myself in hour number two where we really went after it uh, on Donald Trump. And uh, she'll be back next week, so we'll be looking forward to that. Now, as far as why we have John on the program, he's a Democratic congressman from uh, Louisville, a a superdelegate for Hillary Clinton at the Democratic Convention, and a guy who I go back way, way back with, uh, having uh, co-hosted a TV show with on the NBC affiliate in Louisville, Kentucky, where we're on on WHAS uh, in Louisville. And John is somebody who is much more honest than most politicians, and that's why I wanted to have him on. So, John, you sound much, you sound much, you sound much better now, John. Now, okay. Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, in the last segment, I indicated that I thought that the Hillary speech, while it had its moments, uh, lost an opportunity to appeal to people who are offended by Donald Trump, who might be moderate or conservative, because she was far too left wing. Certainly for me, but I was not really her target audience. But even I think uh, for let's say some suburban moms in uh, you know outside of Philadelphia who might generally vote Republican, but would be willing to vote, especially for a female presidential candidate. Let me play at least one clip for you from the speech, uh, and and have you explain to me why she would put this in there. It has to do with uh, her promise to have Bernie Sanders help her basically make college tuition free for everybody. She starts off very quietly. (laughs) Bernie Sanders and I will work together to make college tuition free for the middle class and debt free for all. All right, now, John, uh, there is no chance that that is ever going to happen, is there? Absolutely right not going to happen. Wow! Now, how about that for honesty from a politician? John Yarmuth, Democratic congressman, has just stated that what Hillary Clinton said at the the Democratic convention in one of the uh, most uh, cheered lines in her speech is never going to happen. So why did she say it? Well, clearly what she's trying to do is to make sure that the the Bernie Sanders supporters don't desert her. Um, You know, it was an interesting convention dealing with the Bernie Sanders People and you know that that's one of the issues that I think when you everybody wants to make college more affordable that's a, a noble goal. The issue and and I'm one who believes that you know we can work to make college debt free, but there's no way to make it totally free. And 
to me, that's a promise that's uh, an empty promise. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen even if you had a Democratic-controlled Congress. And, so, and, you know, I, I just think that's a – it was a mis- I think that's a mistake to promise it. But, you know, Donald Trump's promising to uh, make America great again by himself. <laughs> well, look, I, I agree with you that, that Donald Trump is full, <clears throat> of, full of crap in almost everything that he says. But, I mean, Hillary's supposed to be the the the, the more reasonable one, at least to, from your perspective. Um, and, and I also forget about – you know, who's better or who's worse, who's the bigger liar. And that's, a, I think, a tough call a lot of days, uh, in my view, between Hillary and, and Trump. Politically, I thought it was dumb. I get the idea of having to appeal to the Sanders voters, but I, I don't understand why you would throw it away on something so obviously insane. And by the way, it's not just insane because it's never going to happen. If you jump, you give me a very honest answer a second ago, I want you to give me another honest answer. If you were, if you were already graduated from college, and you had student debt right now, which you know, I don't know how many people do, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people do, and and you heard that speech, and you were, why would you bother to keep paying off that loan? Why would you do so if Hillary was going to be president? Wouldn't you at least believe there was a chance you would be retroactively absolved from your loan? Well, yeah, and I, I think that's one of the problems with this whole the whole discussion about uh, about college debt, and it's something I've worked on. We're, we're very focused on that. You know, we're trying to. One of the things that that Democrats in Congress want to do, or are very committed to do, is allowing people with student debt to refinance it at at very low rates, which uh, totally makes sense because that's the only debt that people can't refinance. Uh, but and those things make sense, and. I agree with you totally that the the problem with that saying you're going to give free free tuition to anybody up to $125,000 worth of income is what do you do with somebody, you know, with a 48-year-old coal miner who just lost his job? Say, "Hey, you know, I'd like to go back to college. Why don't you give me free free college?" And right. That, you know, it it's just it's just one of those things where equitably you can't you can't make sense out of that policy. And that's why we love John Yarmuth, the most honest man in Congress, at least as a Democrat. Now, I want to talk to you about the Bernie Sanders supporters, because I, this is fascinating to me, and it's, I think, incredibly important from a political perspective on what's going to happen in this campaign. Uh, we only have a few seconds before the break, so give me, give me your very short bottom line answer before we get into the details. What percentage of Bernie voters will end up voting for Hillary, John? Oh, I think probably 85 all right, we'll talk about yep. that when we come back. John Yarmouth says 85%. I have a theory that it might not be that high, and I want to throw that past John. Plus, we're going to get into some of the uh, the politics of this uh, fascinating presidential election. We'll do that when we come back. This is the John and Leah Show. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. Leah Brandon is off this week. She'll be back next. We're joined this hour by Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth, my old friend from Louisville, Kentucky, where we heard 
on WHAS in Louisville. He was a, a superdelegate to the Democratic Convention, a Hillary Clinton delegate. And uh, Congressman Yarmouth, I want to talk to you about the politics of the Bernie Sanders supporters. But before we do that, let's go back to the beginning of this week and the controversy which really reignited the anger among Bernie Sanders supporters, which was this hack of the the DNC, these emails that indicated that, uh, in their minds, the fix was in uh, on behalf of Hillary Clinton, something which didn't surprise me much at all, because I never thought you guys would ever allow Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, regardless of what the voting was. And let's be very clear, Bernie Sanders was never really that close to beating Hillary Clinton. He lost by several million votes. To me, this is a little bit like deflate gate, where even if what Tom Brady did might have been illegal, they blew him out. It didn't. It wasn't that close. What, 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 what difference does it make? As, as Hillary might say. What difference at this point does it make? Um, so, so, John, tell exactly. me, when you, when you read the emails, what, what was your reaction to them? Well, clearly when you're uh, – you have people talking about possibly questioning, uh, setting up a strategy to question Bernie Sanders' uh, theology. Uh, that's just totally outrageous, and uh, everybody who was involved in that ought to be let go. There's no question about that. And obviously Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, as, as the chair of that committee, uh, she, she fell on her sword for that, and, and that was inevitable. Um, no, that has no place. You know that what we're trying to do, what what a what a political party tries to do, at least the the, the two major political parties, their entire role is to assemble a a uh, a governing majority, and you don't do you don't assemble a governing majority by engaging in that kind of tactics. All that does is alienate people. And John, I agree with everything you just said, but let's be real for a second. All right, forget about the underhanded. Maybe we can use his religion against him, and you know, let, let's uh, you know basically uh, put the fix in against Bernie. There was never any chance that you guys were going to let Bernie Sanders be the nominee. I mean, it would, no matter what it would have taken, Barack Obama would have gotten out in front of that freight train and said, "Stop!" <laughs> right? Am I, am I right? If, if if Bernie really ever got close. Obama himself would have single-handedly put a stop to it. Is that right? Well, to the you know, I don't know exactly how mechanically that would have worked, but I I think there's no question that the leadership of the party felt that Bernie Sanders would not have been the, our best chance of winning the president the presidential election. There's no question about that. But there's also no question that your base would have listened to Barack Obama. I mean, you see, yeah. I, I said for a year. The biggest advantage you guys have in choosing your nominee is that you have a, a, a guy who people actually look up to and respect and will obey, if necessary, uh, President Obama. And if he says, stop it, the, the children are going to go, maybe, eventually, <laughs> okay, let's stop this baloney. We don't have anybody. Republicans didn't have anybody. Mitt Romney tried to be that guy, and everyone laughed at him. Yeah, so, well, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, and you know, the, the, the bottom line is that... Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat, has never been a Democrat. Um, I mean, he's been a Democrat for a year. And his his primary interest in terms of governing had nothing to do with the Democratic Party. So, And, and that's one of the things that uh, is a challenge for us going forward you know, with the, the Bernie Sanders supporters. A lot of them have no interest at all in any party, particularly the Democratic Party, 
We have some Democrats who are Bernie Sanders supporters. Those are not our problem. Those people are going to end up voting for Hillary Clinton and certainly not voting for Donald Trump. But there are, there are others who brought, were brought into the process by Bernie and whatever um, motions and policies that um, he, he evoked. And, uh, but, but their interest is not in – no, I hear you. I hear you. But yeah, let's, yeah, let's, they're, they're interested. You know, you know, as I say, somebody as a super delegate, as a, as a, as a, uh, as a Democratic office holder, I'm concerned about things beyond the presidency. I'm concerned about whether we take the Senate back. I'm concerned about our major, uh, you know, how, how we can narrow the majority in the the Republican majority in the House. I'm concerned about the Kentucky House of Representatives making sure that stays Democratic. Those are things that Bernie supporters. Don't even think about right. So all right, well let's let's talk about let's talk about the Bernie Sanders supporters from a political standpoint because this could end up being critical. Uh, if you look and I and I know you do and and, and I'm a poll watcher, uh, you know probably more so than I than I should be. Uh, you know, kind of almost obsessed with them, but I, I you know I'm pretty good at predicting these types of things. When you look at Hillary's polls, it's clear that there's still a couple percentage points that are missing that would naturally be there that appear to be Bernie Sanders supporters who are just saying they're not going to vote for anybody. And I know that, that traditionally, this, you know, this has happened before. It's not the first time that there's been a bitter Democratic battle. I mean, you know, we've seen it before, although, you know, a lot of times it doesn't necessarily end up in victory. I think Ted Kennedy to this day is partly why Ronald Reagan was president in 1980, because he beat the crap out of Jimmy Carter. Uh, before losing, um, I, I think there's some differences in, in what happened here. But 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 the traditional wisdom is they'll come home eventually. Let me throw out a different theory at you. I think that, and I think you already kind of stated it. But this is a different generation, John. This is the Bernie Sanders supporters are millennials. This is the participation trophy generation. These are people that have never been told that there is such a thing as losing. They, they've, been, they've had been coddled their whole lives. They're special snowflakes. And I think that there's a very good chance they take their ball and they go home and they don't even vote. I, I don't know what percentage it is, but what do you think of that theory? Well, I don't think there's any question that there is a segment of the, the, the Sanders support that will, exact, will do exactly what you said. They're either going to vote for the Green Party or they're going to disengage. I, I don't think it's a large percentage. And you know, having spoken to uh, the Sanders supporters in the Kentucky delegation, and we were split basically 50-50, uh, I think people are actually going to take their ball and go home is relatively small in, in the final analysis. And, but, and how much – I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but, but, no, right. uh, but how of the people – how much of your confidence that a lot of them or the majority of them in 80, you said 85% in the last segment, how much of your confidence that most of them, the Sanders supporters won't take their ball and go home has to do with the fact that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee and he's so easily demagogued and it's so such a motivating factor to get out to the polls to keep him from being president. How much of that leads you to be that confident? Um, I think that's, Probably the major factor. <laughs> the major factor. So in other you words, ask, so in other words, if Marco Rubio was the current can, Republican candidate, you think you might have a bigger problem with the Sanders people? Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger, but not not a lot bigger. I mean, I think ultimately most of the Sanders 
supporters understand that, yeah, there's a difference between $15 an hour and $10.10 an hour, but the goal is the same. There's a difference between free tuition and debt-free college, but the goal is generally the same. So uh, I think in of those people who, who vote, and I think there, there are Sanders supporters who are going to take the ball and go home and not participate, um, when they have to make a choice, they're going to vote for Hillary. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that Donald Trump kind of culturally and psychographically right. doesn't represent anything they, they relate to. I agree. I think the, the most ridiculous pseudo-narrative in this entire campaign is the notion that Sanders supporters would in large numbers end up voting for Donald Trump, which uh, some Trump people have tried to sell that, and it's just... It's just, it's just flat-out ridiculous. Um, you know, there's, just no, there's no chance of that. But let me ask you about another thing that you and I have texted about, mm-hmm. and I've warned you about this. <laughs> I, I think that there's a chance that some... You mentioned the, the, the Green Party candidate, uh, Jill Stein, and I guess is her name. Um, yeah. uh, I think it's possible that the uh, the weed smoking libertarian Gary Johnson gets some Sanders support as well. What do you think about that? You know, that's an interesting question because it seems to me that the Sanders people are very much non libertarian. I mean, they're they're pretty much big government people, right? And so, I, I, that, logically, that doesn't make sense. I think. Probably, but it's temperamentally, temperamentally, impressionistically, that probably will happen. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not a matter of hard policy. But you remember, right. uh, you know, a third party vote or a fourth party vote is not based in policy because they're never going to win anyway. It's no. it's based in a safe place where you can feel good about yourself, or at least not have to take a shower after you take after you cast <laughs> that's right. a vote. That, uh, yeah, that's a statement vote. It's a statement vote, and I yeah. I think it's possible that the weed thing might be strong enough. Among Sanders voters, although, you know, frankly, as a libertarian myself, I think that the Johnson Weld campaign is blowing it because they're trying to be Mr. Nice Guys uh, because they think everybody, you know, hates Trump and and Hillary, which they do. But I think they need to be way more aggressive uh, if they're ever going to get into the debates. And if they don't get into the debates, it's over for them. So, um, all right. We're speaking with the Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, superdelegate to the uh, Democratic Convention this week in Philadelphia. When we come back, I want to talk about the uh, Trump Clinton race in general, and specifically the media's role in all of this on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host, Leah Brandon, is off this week. She'll be back next. We've been joined this hour by Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, who was a super delegate for Hillary Clinton at the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia this week. And uh, John has been very uh, nice to uh, stay up way past his bedtime. It's almost 11 o'clock there on the uh, East Coast, which I guess is the time when uh, both uh, John and Bill Clinton can no longer keep their eyes open. So we'll, so we'll, we'll use our last few minutes uh, as uh, usefully as possible. John, um, one of the things that um, you and I have in common is, is a media background, and our views of the media are very similar. You used to own a newspaper, your son still does, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm very curious about your thoughts on how the media is treating this presidential campaign, because, um, frankly, I think they're a little confused. Uh, they're, they're, um, their normal rules have all been a little discombobulated, 
Um, at first, during the Republican convention, I was starting to think, are they really going to go in the tank almost for Trump? Um, you know, basically allowing him to be perceived as a legitimate presidential candidate and uh, kind of being rather hard on Hillary. But then last week or this week, I, I thought that, you know, they kind of returned to their normal ways, which was to prop up the Democratic candidate at all costs. I'm curious as to how you would evaluate how the media is, is treating Trump and Hillary. Well, you know, the, the, the attention that's been given to Donald Trump, however you quantify the, the free media that he's gotten, some say it was $2 billion worth of free media uh, during the, the primary season, um, it's, been, it's been extraordinarily irresponsible as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I remember sitting one afternoon and watching when he had a press conference at, the, at his new hotel in, in D.C. in the old postal building, and they went on for 15, 20 minutes, and all he was doing was talking about his hotel and the finishings and the, the, the renovation, and it was a total advertising, and they, he never spoke about policy at all. So it, it's been incredibly um, uh, uh, irresponsible is the only word I can come up with, but all they – but they, they know the numbers. They know people want to watch Trump. It's, a, it's watching a train wreck. And they unfortunately, you know, I, I keep coming back the other day. David Brooks wrote a column, and he said, um, you know, the, the Democrats clearly dominated the conventions, but they may have dominated a game that nobody else is playing. And I thought that was pretty potentially very insightful. And uh, that, that, that's the way I think they've treated Donald Trump as something that is totally different than any other presidential candidate. What they're doing now with, uh, I, I think they're trying to, to right the ship in a certain, to a certain extent. But what, if day after day after day, if they're, the, you know, the whole Russian scenario, the hacking, the, 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 the Putin relationships, there just seems to be so much. Uh, about Donald Trump that is kind of outside the normal political process that I'm, I'm not sure what we would expect of the media. In, in well, some, it's, interesting you, it's interesting you put it that way, Congressman Yarmouth, because I actually think, and, I, and I'm writing a column for, for Mediaite about this uh, for tomorrow, specifically with regard to his George Stephanopoulos interview that Trump, uh, it was aired this morning on ABC. Mm-hmm. Trump actually benefits from the fact that he says so many crazy, inaccurate, frankly, uh, deceitful things that the media is not designed to be able to nail them down. There's not enough time. So it's almost like this tidal wave of stuff that no one ever gets to the bottom of because there's too much of it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like he benefits... From this tsunami of bullcrap that he puts out there, um, because you know even Stephanopoulos is is like incapable of, of exposing just how ridiculous some of the stuff was, and, and he's in a weird spot because he used to work for the Clinton. So you know, exactly. you know if if he goes too too far too hard, he's going to get accused of of being biased. I I actually think. You know, John, for a while I was wondering, and I, I texted you about this as well. I'm mm-hmm. curious as your thoughts on, on it. You know, in 2008, it was very clear to me that the news media suddenly realized, wait a minute, this Hillary coronation 
is going to be boring as hell and 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 bad for ratings. Ooh, look at look over here. Look at this new shiny object named Barack Obama. And much like Trump, although probably not to the same degree, Barack Obama was a great narrative and great for ratings. And they basically dumped their old girlfriend for this hot new love, Barack Obama, and that's how he won that primary. I'm seeing some similarities, not 100%, but some similarities to how the media is treating Trump here. What do you, what do you make of that? No, I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I think all the rules have changed by have been changed by Trump, and the media really don't know how to deal with it. Uh, but I think you're right. That is the, that is the thing that is, in, in one crazy sense, it's the most newsworthy <laughs> because – he is so bizarre. Well, I do. So unconventional. I do think, though, that um, the the way the media works is still going to work in Hillary's favor going forward because the natural course of events, barring big news, which we've had a lot of lately, mm. but barring big news, Trump will say something dumb. The media will, you know, try to attack him. Hillary will then, by the end of the day, have a prepared, you know one-line statement that can be used on the nightly news, and then we'll repeat the process. I mean, that's what's going to happen almost every day, because yeah. uh, because now everything is structured, except for Trump's not structured at all, because he's off the cuff and doing all these interviews and not using a teleprompter some of the times on the stump. So I, I, I think, I, I believe that she's going to be ahead in the polls this week. I believe that she will maintain that lead through most, if not the rest of the campaign. Uh, I think that the debates, assuming Trump doesn't wimp out, which uh, do you think, by the way, do you think he's trying to wimp out on the debates? It, it kind of sounded that way, but I can't imagine he's going to do that. It's impossible for him to get. Well, it's all, I would have thought it was impossible for him not to release his tax returns. How yeah, are you, exactly. how are you, how are you guys not even mentioning that story? How is, how is that possible? That, that is, Campaign malpractice to not make that the number one issue every single day. How is that not happening? Well, I mean, there's so many, you know, there's so many things to talk about. There are a lot of people harping on the tax return thing, and it's just that again, there's so many things to. All right, so, so many issues, so so little time. <laughs> All right, now now, John, with the incredible uh, percentage of people who think that we're on the wrong track in this country and who uh, you know do not like Hillary Clinton personally, mm-hmm. uh, tell me. How much more worried would you be about winning the presidency if instead of Donald Trump, the candidate was, let's say, a Marco Rubio or even a John Kasich or a Scott Walker, somebody like that? How much more worried would you be right now? I would be a lot more worried if it were um, if it were Kasich. Marginally more worried if it were Scott Walker. I don't really think he's that saleable a candidate, but but John Kasich, I would be hugely worried. And and not Rubio, huh? So you you are not one of those who thought that Rubio was a big threat. No, nope. See, I don't. I I never thought he was saleable. Really? No, that, that's one of the few. But I do think Kasich. I think do think Kasich would have been would be a huge threat. And you know John Kasich a bit mm-hmm. uh, from the golf course um, and. <laughs> Uh, do you think that he'll do anything to help Trump in Ohio, or will he actually go the opposite way and try to sabotage him? I, I think he'll. I just think he'll sit it out. He's you know he's got a Senate race he's concerned about, and uh, I don't know what else is going on in Ohio, but I don't I don't think he's going to try to sabotage Trump, but I don't think he's going to be anywhere near him. 
Well, it's certainly brilliant. I mean, the brilliant negotiator that Trump is to make sure that the popular governor, uh, Republican governor <laughs> of the must-win state of Ohio, where your convention is, doesn't even show up to the convention. Exactly. Uh, forget, beautiful. Forget about any kind of endorsement. Uh, Congressman John Yarmuth, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, John. Take care. Uh, that's uh, Congressman uh, John Yarmuth with some very interesting comments, which I will uh, discuss in hour number two, and we'll go through the rest of the week's news when we return on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.